All right, I, I, I want to just jump in. Is that cool? Yeah. You guys ready? I know we just stopped worshiping, but here we go. Well, now we're going to keep worshiping. <laughs> Amen. Someone testify. Uh, <laughs> Um, so we're going to be in Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. If you're new here, we have not been in Romans before this. We're kind of hopping into a passage. And it's just in light of this month of prayer and fasting. So if you're taking notes, today's, the, today's sermon is titled, Awaken Us. Awaken Us. And the whole month, we're just going to be just asking the Lord, really, just awaken us. Like wherever you're speaking, wherever you're on the move, help us to be awake. Help us to see it. Help us to hear it. Help us to pay attention to it and, and respond to it. Um, before I read this passage, there's two things you need to know, uh, maybe three. First, Paul is the guy that wrote this letter of Romans we're about to dig into. We can talk a lot more about him later. Secondly, um, he just got wrapped up instructing Christians that are kind of spread out um, on how to just conduct their lives, how to live as Christian people. And before that, he got into a lot of complicated stuff. Romans is a crazy book. If you've ever tried reading it, it's wild. So, um, but today we're just focusing on three specific verses. The third, and I think the most important thing you need to know about the verses we're about to read is that Paul deeply believes, is firmly convinced that Jesus Christ is going to come back again. If you do not believe that, um, these verses will not be very inspiring to you. They may even feel legalistic. They may feel a little harsh. Um, and um, that's actually just true of the Christian faith in general, if you didn't know that. <laughs> um, if, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ will return and my eschatology, in other words, my belief about the end times is not at all developed. So I don't know, pre-trib, post-trib, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what y'all are talking about. But in some form or fashion, Christ will return and eradicate darkness. He will return and make all things perfect. And if you don't know Paul really believes that, these verses are kind of strange. So if you hear an urgency, an angst in these words, I think you're right. I think you're, that's true. I think Paul has a little angst in him when he writes this stuff out. He has, a part of his testimony is as he was traveling, Christ in the flesh interrupted his journey, turned his whole life around, saved his soul. And so he, from that point on, he started living with a little urgency. He was like, y'all, for real, Jesus is real. Like, seriously, no, no, I'm serious. He was right there. We got to talk about it, okay? So that's what you're going to feel. All right. <coughs> Verses 11 through 14. Besides this, all the conduct stuff, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Father, you know that I believe in this, um, but you also know that it's hard to talk about it because it's, it's that truth that kind of pierces a little bit. It kind of pierces through our uh, discomfort. We're kind of touchy being confronted. 
will you help us to navigate these scriptures, God? And, and I do pray that you would help us not be arrogant with these scriptures. It's so easy to put our experiences as the main lenses that we see through when we read the Bible. I don't think you intended for that to be how we read it, but we do that. So Father, will you help us to lay our experience to the side for just a little bit? Will you help us to hear this word the way you need us to hear it? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So he says, the night is gone, the day is at hand. So real quick, let's talk about this just briefly. Paul's saying, with all eternity in perspective, whether Christ comes in two seconds or two million years, he's coming right now. That's the vibe. He's like, think about how long eternity is. He's here, all right? Christ's second return is happening right now. Whenever you read Paul, you feel this sense of, yo, it's like tomorrow he will be here. That's how he's living. And in the grand scheme of things, he knows God has eternity in perspective and it might, it might be tomorrow. Like check your sundial. It might, the shade's gonna go a little bit that way and boom, there he is. Or maybe it'll be 2000 years from now or maybe it'll be 2 million years from now from this moment right here. I don't know. But that's what you're feeling from Paul. He's going with eternity in perspective. Christ's, Christ, crisis, Christ's return is at hand. It's here and it's now. So he says, with that in mind, Put away all darkness. What he's trying to help us feel. He goes, y'all, when Jesus cracks the sky, when physical Jesus shows back up, there will be quite the contrast for the things that feel important and the things that feel very unimportant. And he's trying to get you to feel it. Like, I'm not trying to, I keep, I'm going to stop clapping at you. That's a little aggressive. <laughs> He's like, no, go there in your mind. When the literal Jesus literally returns, you need to understand immediately when that actually happens, because it will, some things will be revealed as extremely important, and some things will be revealed as extremely petty, unimportant, and even dark. When Christ cracks the sky, you're not gonna be like, oh my gosh, babe, where's my phone? TikTok will love this. You know, like if he comes through the clouds, it's not like, dang, the Super Bowl was in a week. Hold on, what, can you just, you, that's not gonna happen, right? When Christ in the, he's like, like you gotta picture it. When he comes back, you will immediately be exposed for the unimportant things you are focused on. And all of that will turn to ash in your heart immediately. No ifs, ands, or buts. All the things that you're debating, if you wanna give it to God, it will, it will just vanish the minute Christ shows up, it's over. When he looks you in the eye, make no mistake about it, you will not wonder what it is you should have spent your time doing. Paul's like, Christians, this is, by the way, this is like a real Christian conversation. So here we go. He's like, Christians, you gotta understand, <laughs> all right? Christ is coming back. That's happening. That's a whole big part of this, like Jesus died for your sins, resurrected from the grave, put your faith in him so you can have salvation. Like a big part of this is that he will come back. So put away all the darkness because when Christ comes back, darkness dies, it's over with, it's eradicated. So he's just trying to get us ahead of the curve. 
is that when he comes back, it's all gone anyway. So why don't you go ahead and put it to the side? Because his kingdom will have no room for sin, darkness, lust of the flesh. It will all die anyway. So go ahead and start living like that right now. Okay? All right. Y'all ready? Ooh, it's coming. All right. So I've got, I've got really two main things I want to hit this morning. In light of Christ's return, Christians must first be diligent in suffocating the sin in their life. That's why you heard me almost crying. I don't like talking about your sin, but we're about to talk about it. My sin, too. Um, I also sin. (laughs) One of my my hobbies. Uh, (laughs) In light of Christ's return, we must suffocate sin. And secondly, we must put on the armor of light. Sounds like it's like in a Dune movie or a, what's that Disney uh, Star Wars thing? What's that show? Mandalorian. Mandalorian. I could barely understand what happened just now. Mandalorian. Uh, It sounds like you'd be on Mandalorian, like I've come here for the armor of light or something. Anyway, we got to put on the armor of light. Paul was dope for that phrase. All right. So first, suffocate sin. We got to suffocate sin in light that Christ will return and establish his kingdom. We must, I don't need the stool today. We must suffocate sin. Let me tell you a story. Last week, Friday, Saturday, one of those days, got a text. Hey, having some problems with the projector. Don't know if it's going to work. Okay, shoot. Well, we're kicking off prayer. Satan, won't he do it? I wanted to have scriptures up there. I'm like, shoot, okay. So Saturday, I plan on going to the office, printing off like 150 sheets of like worship lyrics and teaching notes, but I didn't. So I went to sleep, woke up, went to the office Sunday morning, started making all this stuff. Look at my watch. I'm like, I don't have a watch. Look at my phone. Look at my watch that doesn't exist. Like, that's not helpful. Look at my phone. See what time it is. Got to go home, pick up my wife. So I, I press print on 150 sheets of worship lyrics, drive home, pick up my wife, drive back. She can tell I'm stressed get to the office. I had closed my laptop, so the printer stopped. Ah! Okay, thank you. Open the laptop, print. Ah! I call Luke Lowe's our tech director. Hey, man, I'm running late for prayer. Ah! Can you lead the pre-worship meeting? I'll be there when I can. All right, click, boom. Do you guys ever do something where a little part of your life gets inconvenienced, and it's just like, woe is me, like to the max, and you act like you, that phrase, of course. You ever use that? Oh, of course. <laughs> like, your life's great, like, calm down, but it's just like, oh, duh. The one Sunday I was going to get to drive with my wife to church. I don't get to do that. So I'm in the car just like, the one Sunday that I was just going to go with my wife to church, you know, the pastor has to work so hard. I was finally going to get to rest in the Lord with my wife, but of course, and I'm, dude, I'm complaining so hard. My breathing is so obvious. I'm just like, man, hey, baby, you doing good? You know, like, and she can feel I'm stressed. I'm so angry. I'm pointing fingers internally. I'm just like, the Ruby, why is this stupid projector not working? You know, like, ugh, Satan's really on one today, you know? <laughs> of course, then I get here, and it's prayer time. So I get 45 minutes just to sit here in prayer. I'm my own worst enemy. I created this thing. <laughs> I got to sit there. And uh, as I'm praying, y'all, as I'm praying, this is what was going down. I feel like the Lord, now I didn't hear like, you know, this like voice in my head, but I just started having this dialogue with God. And he was just like, hey, why, why are you angry? Why are you angry? And since we had 45 minutes just to sit there, I couldn't just give like a, you know, four second kind of 
not real answer. So we had to really sit there and think about it. And after I got done finger pointing in my heart, I felt him being like, you know, doing this, like, no, 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 surely it's not my fault. No, 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 you know, and he just, (laughs) he's like, let's really talk about it. Why are you upset? And I felt like he kind of challenged me and went, hey, who's the, like the pastor, the appointed leader of this body? I was like, I'm not going to answer that because you already know the answer and you know I know the answer. All right, who like eight years ago was in the cannery parking lot bawling his eyes out saying, God, if I could please one day be a pastor of this church, my, my whole dream is true. It's come true. Who prayed that prayer with tears in his eyes? All right, that was me. All right, all right. Oh, wait, there's one more question I asked myself. It's in my notes. Hold on. Oh, this is where I really got, this is where it really hurt me. He was like, who set their alarm like an hour too late this morning and created the whole stressful environment for himself? And I was like, okay, that's me, but, like, but nothing, right? He was like, Josh, this is on you. On Friday, you knew about the projector. Why didn't you get ahead of the game? You could have had your peaceful, sweet morning that you're claiming you're a victim of. Like you could have had the morning you wanted. You just didn't take care of the thing that's your literal job. And in this moment, I was like, oh my goodness, like God, you're so right. And I was reminded of, uh, I think it's Hebrews 12, six, where he says, man, Jesus, he disciplines those he loves. He rebukes those he loves. And I just felt that I felt so grateful. I was like, man, God, thank you. Thank you for rebuking this sin in my heart. Like it was messing up my whole morning. I was busy blaming people and being flustered and angry. Now all of a sudden I realized, oh, that's my bad. Said I was sorry. And he pointed me to this passage. James chapter one, verses 19 through 20. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is where it really hit me. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He goes, your anger is getting in your way of growing in my righteousness. And isn't that all you want? Don't you long for a heart that is pure before the Lord? I will help your heart be pure in my presence. But right now your anger is directly in the way and it's no one else's fault. And I just felt like my heavenly father, like rebuking me and in the same way, that anger prevents righteousness. I think that's what I'm talking about. When I say it's on the Christian to suffocate the sin of their life, we're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about um, proving yourself worthy of God's grace or preventing God from being angry. We're talking about, man, God, he wants to lavish his righteousness, his peace, his love, his compassion. And on your road to those things coming true, like sin can't be there. So when we're talking about suffocating sin, if any part of you wants to get offended or think we're talking about legalism or earning, we're not doing that. We're saying like the good shepherd wants to lead you beside still waters and the enemy wants to put sin in your life that prevents you from living that life of peace with Jesus. Two sides of the same coin. Sin leaves little room for righteousness. Righteousness leaves little room for sin. That's just a reality of life. Does that make sense? So we must suffocate sin. Paul says, quote, make no provision for the flesh. Mm -hmm. Zero, right? He doesn't say don't sin. He knows that's done. We lost that battle. He says in your lives, stop creating breathing room. 
Stop creating environments conducive to sin. Don't help the enemy out. He's already such a master of his craft in your spiritual life, in your physical environment, in your mental, in your thought process, in your friend group, do not create an environment that helps sin grow and flourish. Take the air out of the room. Suffocate sin. So if you're the person where one drink turns to five, turns to 10, and then you sleep with a stranger, and then for the next two weeks you're worried about pregnancy. Like, that's like the road you always go down. That's a part of my testimony in my younger years, so I'm not judging anybody. Like, if you're that person, avoid bars, okay? Your struggle is not their struggle. Don't feel judged or condemned. It's cool. One addict to another. Avoid bars. It will not help you. Right? If you struggle with shopping addiction, like if that's a thing you struggle with, don't worry about Amazon's daily deals. <laughs> Delete the app. They're amazing. It's because they have hundreds of billions of dollars. Guess what? It's always going to be a good deal. And it's always going to take your money and your lunch money. I don't even know what that joke is. All right. All right. If talking to friends... Whenever you talk about other people, if it always leads to gossip and slander, shut your mouth. Stop talking. Don't try to do the Christian prayer request gossip. Just stop talking. If when you talk, you tend to be self-obsessed or arrogant or prideful, tell yourself for the next two weeks, I will only ask good questions, listen, and I'll even pull up my phone and take notes on the answers they give me. I will not leave room for selfishness and self-obsessed and pride. And Stop creating space for sin to thrive. I think sometimes we're like, we leave sin in the spiritual realm because it helps us kind of just live in sin and be like, but man, I'm struggling, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. Okay, let's get a little more practical than that. Okay, like let's start thinking about our environments. Let's think about what can we do to help sin eradicate? Let's help ourselves out a little, more, a little bit more. Let's not just give lip service to wanting freedom in Jesus. Let's start getting real practical about it. When Jesus says, if your eye causes you to stumble, do what? cut it out. He's not saying contact a surgeon, go talk to him, get it removed, get a marble one that looks just like a real eye. Like, but do it. He's not saying literally, but he's saying, Hey, if there is something causing you to stumble on your way to my loving, gracious, peaceful presence, get it out. You can pray it out or you can change it. Whatever it takes, get it out. Okay. All right. This is why we fast. Like fasting embraces this lifestyle, right? It says, nothing has permission to get in the way of me and God. Nothing. Fasting is training our heart, mind, soul, body, who really has dominion over our life. Fasting goes, if lunch is so big a barrier that it prevents me from being able to pray, I will not eat lunch temporarily, right? Not forever, <laughs> love me some lunch. If social media is getting in my way, I will eliminate it for a whole month. 
I will train my mind and body who actually has dominion over my life, and it's my creator God. He has dominion. So instead of eating lunch, I'm not just going to grumble about how hungry I am. I'm going to run to his presence and be like, God, I'm going to grumble to you about how hungry I am. But I love you, and you love me, and please, it's only been three minutes, and I got like 47 more, so please help me. Like, I'm really hungry right now, but like, we remove what is having dominion over our physical body, over our mind, over our spirit, and we replace it with attentiveness to the Lord. That's the point of fasting. All fasting is, is dress rehearsal for eternity. Because when we sit in the perfect presence of God, we will not be like, gosh, where, God, Jehovah, where is my phone? Like, like, hey, hey, real quick, I know we're just like praising your name. What's for lunch? Like, that's not gonna happen. We won't have to compete like with our inner selves about like what has priority when we're in heaven. And fasting goes, let's practice what that's gonna be like. Let's prove to ourselves who has dominion over our lives, even over our physical body. Last thing. If you're here and you're like me, and you can get into these seasons where you really struggle with sin and it's really hard and you're like, I, I really actually think I want freedom and I'm trying, I feel kind of lost. I just wanna talk about getting to the root of sin for a second. And I'll try to go through this quickly. But I was praying with a friend. Oh, first, this is James chapter one, verse 15. It kind of like gives light to kind of the root of sin. It says, desire when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings death. And so scripture tells us there's like this step-by-step process with sin, and I was praying with one of my buddies. I asked him a random question that I don't ask all the time, but I was like, hey, if there's an area in your life where the enemy would target you, maybe he's not even like coming after you right now, but he might, where would it be? And he named it, and I said, okay, what if... I don't know, just for kicks and giggles. You're not even being tempted right now. What if we just prayed for that right here? And we just went ahead and went to war. Sneak attack Satan a little bit, right? And as we were praying, I felt like what I saw was like, man, Satan wants to throw your life off of a cliff. But first he has to convince you it's a good day for hiking, right? Like, I snotted on my face. Um, Did you see that? It happened, a bubble, like, anyway. um, I'm just trying to be real with y'all. Out of my nose. If Satan wants to throw your life off a cliff, he first has to convince you it's a good day to go hiking. And what I just felt like was like, before I can ever even get to it, he's got to tell me, hey, there's this great national park, get on this trail, and you won't believe the view. And then it's just, boop, gone. And it reminds, I think what God was trying to teach me in that image is so often our sins don't start with the action themselves. There's a little thought, a little narrative, a mood, a feeling, a something, and then that leads to another feeling, and that leads to another feeling, and then we start to, to test the waters a little bit, and then before we know it, it's like we're on step 100, but we missed steps one through 99 that got us to that place. And what I would encourage you to do is aside from the Holy Spirit helping you and talking in community, think of these two words, prayer and practicality. In your sin life, if there's things that you want freedom from, I think we need to leave we need to join the spiritual realm with the physical realm. Start getting practical in your journey. I kind of thought some, just thought of the, some of these questions. What mood are you in when that sin pops up? What mood are you in? What thought do you have? What time of day? Is it when you feel lonely? Is it when you feel fear? Is it because of selfishness? Is it because of insecurity? Is it when you're with friends? 
A significant other? Is it when you're alone? And proactively start thinking about your physical environment. When do these things happen? And then join that in prayer. Okay, okay, God. And maybe choose a space where temptation's at its lowest. For me, it's like, okay, when I'm in my car, before I go into the office or into my house, that's a great time to just think, Lord, is there any area where the enemy might be lurking in my life where I can just get ahead of the game? And I'm gonna go ahead and visualize that area. If it's right now, it's my anger, as I explained. And so now, and gosh, it's in traffic. I am not a good person in traffic. So a good time to pray for that is not while I'm in traffic. It's when I'm fully stopped. <laughs> and, uh, and so for me, it's in my car and just going, okay, God, I'm gonna start visualizing me in traffic. And I'm not just gonna pray, don't let me get angry. God, I'm gonna start praying, will you help me to like be peaceful? Like not just be defensive, but like actually like offensive and like bring peace to the street. I almost said peace to the streets and that didn't feel... <laughs> Should I just move on? Um, but as I was praying through it, I just, I realized like, man, guys, start praying. Like if you really want freedom, think about the environments where sin is winning in your life. And when you're not in those environments, start praying for those environments. And then when you get to those environments, start praying over those environments and start rewriting the narrative in your mind. Christ, you have promised me freedom. Like if you keep back talking your spouse, if you keep being really short and rude with your spouse, when you get home today, sit with your spouse on the couch and begin praying over them and asking the Lord, rebuking yourself like, God, will you forgive me for my mouth? I am rude to my spouse. This is a gift. Will you help me to be encouraging? And God, right now, I'm just gonna take five minutes just to pray identity over them. Like, get proactive in overcoming the sin that is taking root in your heart. Does that make sense? I know I'm a little tangent today. It's real tangent, tangent vibes. Did I cover this enough? Do you guys feel like you get what I'm saying on the environment stuff? Okay, Luke, yeah, you let me know. All right, let's move on. I'm hot. Um, okay, armor of light. It says, put on the armor of light. Ephesians 6, 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul uses this imagery, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of faith, love, righteousness, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In other words, what he's saying when he says, put on the armor of light, is put on your new identity and wear it like a soldier wears armor. I mean, it's really simple here. And I got three things I wanna talk through here. How do we put on the identity of Christ? I think this is a daily action point and it's gonna look different for all of us, but every day we need to at some point embrace with God in his presence that the identity of Christ is on us. The first thing that came to my mind is this word affection. Telling God how much you love him every day helps you embrace your truest identity in Christ. Waking up, good morning, creator of the universe, lover of my soul, you are here with me. Finding ways to write different versions of love letters to God every single day is so pivotal to claiming your identity in Christ. I mean, like every day, relive a part of your testimony. Does anyone else have a testimony? Like has anyone else found healing in the presence of God at some point in their life? Like have you seen the hand of God since you were born in your life? Man, think about that time every day. 
Tell Jesus how wonderful he is, how wonderful it is that you woke up redeemed. Tell God how amazing it is that somehow he looks at all your life's events and all he sees in your soul is Christ's perfect righteousness covering you like a blanket. Like God has redeemed my life and every day that story never gets old for me. Father, I come to you in your perfect presence. You're so powerful, you're so righteous. With the breath, you can eliminate existence, and yet you are my shepherd. I am a sheep. I get to just come into your presence, and I feel safe. Even if I just found myself in sin four seconds ago, I am covered in the righteousness of Christ. Surely there is no one that forgives like you do. Surely there's no one that loves as relentlessly as you you do. Surely there's no one as powerful as you, God. With your breath, mountains just like happen like that. Mars, how long did it take us to get a Land Rover on Mars? And God's like, I just into existence. Like, that's my God. God, I love you. Find ways to thank him. Find ways to cast your, guys, I'm telling you something. You better listen. I'm giving you some real good stuff right now. Worship, you were made to worship. Oh, I'm cynical, I'm skeptical, I'm wounded. I know that. Worship the Lord. Look no further than Paul. Him and Silas, beaten and bruised, in prison because of their faith. Is that you? No. That's just Paul and Silas. (laughs) They worshiped. The Holy Spirit, while they are shackled, I'm doing this because I'm thinking this is how they looked. (laughs) If you were wondering. (laughs) They were physically like, my tummy hurt during prayer today and I couldn't focus for the life of me. (laughs) And they are bent all out of shape in shackles. They've been beaten and bruised and all they do is start having church. They knew. They didn't know why it was happening. They hadn't, de- they hadn't like thought through their whole life story and all their traumas and what led them to this moment. And they had the questions we have. God, I don't fully understand why I'm in prison beaten up, you know? I get it, like die for Jesus, but like I didn't plan on actually, you know, doing it. Like this is kind of tough. They had all the questions we wrestle with and still the Holy Spirit was teaching them, sing my praises, Leah, my wife, got in an accident, broke her back, internal bleeding, wasn't sure, paralyzed her death, couldn't go inside because of COVID, like it was the worst season ever. And for some reason, God was like, come worship me. Guys, I gripe and complain all the time, but for some reason in this season, he was just like, get away with me. Sing my praise. You don't have to understand it. You don't even have to be at peace with it to worship my name and to tell me how wonderful I am to tell me how perfect I am, to tell me just how much higher my ways are than your ways. I really think that unlocks something. If you want to talk about faith without sight, worship the Lord when you're angry. Worship the Lord when you're cynical. Worship the Lord when you think he abandoned you. Worship him. I really believe, I, I, this is so... And this is like a paradox, I think is the right word that I'm trying to say to you right now. But like, we are, I am such a feelings-oriented human. Feelings are my steering wheel. And God has just taught me, I know how you feel. I know your thoughts. I see your deconstruction. I see it. Worship me. There's a gift there for you. Cast your affection. All right, number two, allegiance. When there is armor, 
there is a battle. And when there is a battle, there is not neutral sides. And Paul says, put on the armor of the one you call king. Put it on. And if that's Jesus, then look at Jesus or pray to Jesus. Tell him you've been on my side this whole time, but I want to make it clear. I'm also on your side. I am on the side of King Jesus, and it is not subtle. I am on the side of King Jesus. This armor is your armor. I represent King Jesus, and I fear that in our attempts to be like cool Christians, chill Christians, like we don't mean no harm Christians, we're not Christian at all. I fear that in our attempts to be like cool with culture, we've actually missed out on what Jesus is calling us to. He's got that truth that pierces bone and marrow. Ask yourself, when's the last time you shared that truth that pierces bone and marrow? Have you ever had a time where Jesus made you uncomfortable and then later on you were thankful for it? You ever had a time where a truth kind of stung a little bit? It actually made you a little mad, but then as you settled down, you realized, no, that was true though. And we get the honor and the privilege of sharing a Jesus that is in fact controversial, will in fact make you uncomfortable, but also will in fact lead you to life everlasting, a peace beyond understanding. And we are on his side. That is the king that we represent. And so every day it's Jesus. If you're calling me to preach on a street corner, I'll do it. If you're calling me to be very quiet and listen to this person for the next four years, no boldness required, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you say because you are the king of my life. There are no terms that I bring to the table with you, Jesus. I will read your word. I will pray. I will listen for your spirit. And when you say go with all I can, I will go. And I'll fall short like every day. And that will train me to be thankful for an unending grace that is always mine to lay hold of. And that's awesome. So it's cool. It works out for us, right? When we're obedient, the spirit shows up. It's really cool. And when we're disobedient, we get grace. And it's like, man, that's crazy. Win-win, isn't it? Jesus has asked for our entire allegiance. All of our lives every percent. And I'm challenged in my heart that at times we accidentally in our modern day culture really lower the bar and water down what Jesus is actually calling us to. When we think we're being chill, we're actually being lukewarm, right? Like when we, when we think we're being friends of the culture, we're not being peacemakers at all. Do you, ha- do you know that sometimes conflict is required to make peace? Like there's a difference between peacemaking and being lukewarm. Like sometimes it takes conflict. Sometimes it takes a harsh word. Like if you're married, you know that. You know that sometimes the road to peace is conflict. Is your wife telling you, I don't like how you're talking to me. Me being like, well, I don't like you. And then we got to get through that conflict. And what's on the other side of that peace? I don't know what that story was for. Okay, let's keep moving. All right. Third thing and then I'm done. Surrender. Surrender is crucial to laying hold of our new identity in Christ. Matthew 16, 24 through 25, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Surrender is the way for Christ to give us everything we were made for. Letting go of everything in the presence of God 
is how he can give us the only thing our soul actually longs for the most. So it's God, more than I'm on my side, I'm on your side. God, more than money, I want you. More than my marriage, more than getting married, I want you. More than I want me time, I want you. More than I need my love languages met, I want you. More than I want vacation, I want to get away with you. More than I want to self-obsess, I want to obsess over you. More than I want to root my identity in my past traumas and my pain that's very real that I'm not making light of, I want to place my identity in the one who has made me whole, healed, and completely loved. You don't even got to mean it. Just pray it. Church, we got to know, Jesus saw all the way into 2022. He saw COVID. He saw your deconstruction. And he still said, pick up your cross, follow me, come to me, all who are weary. I will give you rest. Not the president, not the Enneagram, not your counselor, not this denomination, whatever this denomination is, I guess we're non-denom. Not this church, not me, only Christ. Christ will give you rest, but you gotta come to Jesus in full surrender. And for 2022, what I really just did was give you kind of like a vision that I felt like God put on my heart for this body. That he would have our affection. That he would have our allegiance. That I would come through the avenue of complete surrender to King Jesus. The church is a gathering of Christians and non-Christians are always welcomed in the church, but the church is a gathering of Christians. Christians are people that say, Jesus, you are Lord, which means you have sovereignty over every decision I make. And the Lord says, if you wanna follow me, give up anything in the way of following me. Let the dead bury their dead. Sell all your possessions. All he's saying there is not one thing's allowed to get in the way of my Lordship. And if this is not a church, if this is not a group of people committed to abiding by Jesus's commands, we do not have a church. Church. And my prayer is that we'll have a church this year. A group of people broken, failing all the time, but nevertheless coming back to God going, we surrender all of it. Even when we're holding on, we're surrendering. We're still holding on, but we're surrendering. God, it's all yours. You have our allegiance. You have our affection. This whole conversation, I'm, I'm done. This whole conversation started with a man who deeply believed Christ is coming back. Everything hinges on that. The more you think about it, the more you realize, oh, if I don't believe that, this is all just kind of, this is goofy stuff we're doing. But Christ is coming back and God, please help our vision. Please help us know that one day all of this will pass away and one thing will remain. It's you, God, you will remain. Help us to live our lives in anticipation of that very real truth. And so over communion, I just wanna invite you to ask a very simple question. God, is there anywhere that I'm asleep right now? Is there just any place where I'm just kind of zoned out in my life, ignorant to where your Holy Spirit is trying to speak life to me, ignorant where you're trying to take a selfish human being and make him a selfless servant to the city? God, is there any place where you need to wake me up in my marriage, in my friendships, with my roommates, with my neighbors, with my coworkers? Is there any place you're prompting me? And I just wanna invite you to take communion and just on your own, genuinely ask God that. And whatever he reveals, just do what the Holy Spirit leads you to do. If you wanna pray, 
I'll probably be up here in the back. You'll find me. I'll be around. Um, come talk to me. Come talk to Luke. We got, we got a few staff members you can pray with. Um, I think that's it. Um, hey, I just want to address, that was real, that was so much, that was so many tangents in what just happened. That was the most unorganized sermon like ever. Even though I had a keynote, I know that didn't help very much. All I'm really trying to express is God, it's anything you want. It's anything. Do not care. Protect this church from any ifs, ands, or buts that we try to put in your presence. Protect this church from trying to keep hold of any real estate in our heart that you're trying to lay your hands on. It's all yours, Lord. So whatever that means, like you have your way. Does that make sense?